Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. On this episode of Bustin' Loose Baseball, our fourth episode comes your way. We talk to Joel Hanrahan, the former reliever for the Nationals, who's now their pitching coach in single-A Fredericksburg. We got the lowdown on Brady House and a couple of their top prospects. Also asked him about traveling around the minor leagues after being used to five-star hotels and the, the wonderment of major league travel, it's not quite the same when you're an A-ball as a coach. And it's interesting because he has an appreciation for it, right? He had it, and now it's obviously a very different situation for him trying to help some of his young progenies make it to the major leagues. And he had a great couple of quotes about that, about sort of what the stated goal is and maybe where he's going to go as well. We'll also talk about Juan Soto's slow start to the season with runners in scoring position, among other Nats items. It all starts right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball alongside Danny Ruye. I'm Grant Paulson. Producer Darius Dameron alongside as well. You will hear from him throughout this podcast. The Nats, as we record on this Wednesday have dropped all five of their games to the Miami Marlins this season. Danny, they can't beat Miami. I mean, it used to be. It's like, oh, good, you get to play the Marlins. The thing about Miami now is they can pitch, bro. They don't give up runs. Seems like everyone in that rotation throws 95. But yesterday, you had a bullpen game, and you still couldn't hit against Miami. This is a tough watch at times right now for this group because there's plenty of games where they don't hit, 
And they throw the ball all over the place. We're getting this circus blooper defense like every night at this point. Yeah, and it, and it compounds. I mean, and it's it's there's these things, these epidemic in sports, right, that happens where in, in basketball, for example, it's a missed free throw. Then all of a sudden, another guy misses a free throw. Then otherwise, great shooters feel the pressure and they miss a free throw. And it becomes this thing. It happens with defense. Otherwise, solid defensive players, you know, one miscue happens, you're aware that you lead the major leagues in errors. And next thing you know, it's all compounded. You're trying to make a perfect play or a great play. And, you know, it's just, this is the, this is an unfair game in a million different ways, right? And, and it always finds a way to humble you. You can hit line drives and be out. It's why they don't have percentages in a lot of cases. They call it averages, right? Because you can hit three pop-ups and be three for three. You can hit three bullets right at people and be 0 for three. But over the long course of the season, those things kind of average out. And that's why they call it that. So you you watch this, you know, in, in other sports, whether it's football, basketball, anything else, you could usually make up for a bad game in some other capacity with effort. You can't out-try baseball. You got to try easy. It's just the hardest thing to do in the world, right? Where you put in more effort in game doesn't necessarily help you to tense up, to tighten things up. And you're watching a group, especially with Juan Soto, who we're going to talk about here in a minute, trying to make the great play, trying to hit the five run home run, trying to do something extra special every time. And you can see it. I, th- I think really do think it's mounting as this group is scuffling. Well, uh, let's get into Soto. So we talked to Dave Jagler, who I'm sure at some point we'll have on Bustin' Loose Baseball, one of our good buddies who is one half of the radio team with Charlie Slows that calls every Nats game. He was on Grant and Danny, our daily show on 106.7 The Fan, this week. And he was talking about noticing frustration with Soto that you don't normally see. And I have been talking about this with my wife and with people in my life for a couple of weeks. You see it, man. It's more slamming the bat down. It's more arguing balls and strikes on balls in the strike zone, frankly. And this is my favorite player in sports. This, I love this guy. You can't get me to say anything bad about him. He's not having a bad year. Everyone's acting like he's having this bad season or he's down. He's not. He's having a really good year. His OPS until the last couple of games was over 900. It's still well above league average. Everything he does, he does at a nearly elite level, even this season. But there is one area where he's really struggling. And I think it comes back to seeing some of that frustration. He knows he's got to carry this group. It's basically him against the world. He's a one-man army. Now, if he took a step back and looked, you got Josh Bell, you got Yadiel Hernandez, who's hitting a little bit as well. But in his mind, going into this season, and without Nelson Cruz slugging the way you thought he was going to, it's basically you and Bell and not much else, and he knows that. Danny, right now, he's got 11 RBI with eight home runs, and everyone says, they look at that and they go, man, Juan Soto, what a terrible lineup. How dare they not give him more supporting cast? Well, part of it is, that this is not a great group around him. He's got 11 RBI because he's not coming through with runners in scoring position, though. He's 2 for 27. Think about that. 2 for 27 with runners in scoring position. And one of those two hits didn't score the run. I say this all the time. There was a runner at third, mm-hmm. a second. He got a hit, and the runner got held up at third. So he's basically 1 for 27 at scoring runs when he's got runners in scoring position with hits. That's going to change. That will even out. I worry about him zero. I'm not losing sleep. I'm not an ounce of worry about Juan Soto. But it is what it is. got to talk about it. He's 2 for 27 with runners in scoring position. Had another night where he had a couple of opportunities he couldn't come through against the Marlins here. And this is a story because it is not only hurting him, but Davey Martinez after game two against Miami basically said our big guys in the middle have to drive in runs. And he might have been talking about Nelson Cruz, who stranded the bases loaded, who hasn't been able to too often this season as well. But 
Juan Soto's part of that, and I think he's talking about him as well. Yeah, and it's all a part of the discussion. I mean, he's, as you said, things will equalize. I think he's got a comically low batting average on balls in play. It's just over 260, I think, as of this recording. That's not sustainable. That's going to change. But a lot of it is he's not making great contact. A lot of it is he's not firing off his A-hack, the Juan Soto swing that we're so used to seeing more often than not. I mean, France had pointed out on the on the telecast last night, I believe, I think it was a second and third situation where Soto basically ran out of bat, hit the ball off the off the, the, the end of his bat, lazy fly ball to left field, not deep enough to score the run. And that's just one swing, that's one individual thing. We're not used to seeing him bail out the way that he is, uh, especially against lefties. Right, I mean, think about some of the, the the great moments that he's had against left-handed pitching. Think of the 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 line drive bullet that ended up going past uh, Grisham in right field that scored the runs uh, against Milwaukee, staying in against a 98 mile hour fastball from Josh Hader. Think about taking a, a breaking ball in Atlanta to left center field for a 440 foot home run. You don't do that without being in and on your a hack. And so what's happening right now, and a little bit of a mechanical deep dive, you can watch it. Kevin Franz did a great job of pointing this out last night on, on one of the replays. He fouled the pitch previous off, talking about Soto in that uh, runners in scoring position at bat. His right hip, his front hip, is pointed towards second base at the time the bat is going through the contact zone. That means your front shoulder is open. That means you're basically pulling across the strike zone. So a pitch, think about what he's so good at. When he's right, drilling the ball to the opposite way, left center, left field, you know, he could spray the ball foul pole to foul pole, right? That home run he hit uh, in the World Series, that oppo boppo, that absolute nuke to left center field where the big boys go uh, on pull side. He can do that as good or better than anybody. He's not doing that right now because you run out of barrel as you're pulling across the zone instead of everything through, everything through, everything through. If you remember back to when, um, when Bryce Harper was here, even now as you watch him on television, between almost every swing, He'll take that right hand and almost like he's doing a backhand slap to the air, push it towards center field, push it towards center field, push it towards center field. That's what Soto's got to get back to. He's not doing that right now, and you could see him tense up with runners in scoring position trying to do extra instead of trying to do what he's capable of, which, by the way, is among the two or three best hitters alive. Well, it's radio, right? So I can't show you his spray chart, but I'm looking at it. And if you could see his spray chart, you would see that he is pulling the ball way more this year. Yep. To your point. I mean, as far as the power goes, he's got eight home runs. Well, six of those are to the pull side. For him, normally, I mean, pull side is where the power often is. Sure. He's left center, though, a lot. He's down the left field line, flirting with the foul pole at Nationals Park. There's nothing like that. He's got one to center field and then one to traditional left field this season. But even the singles and the doubles, I mean, he's got total this year, basically like five hits, maybe six, depending on how you quantify this one, to true left field. Of all the hits that he's got on the season. So that's somewhat telling. Going through some of the numbers, a deep dive. And again, I want to quantify or qualify that I am not worried about the production of right. Juan Soto. Nor but I. I'm just trying right now to give you an example of some of the things that he's not quite doing at his usual MVP of the league, best hitter in baseball type level. His average exit velocity right now is 89 miles an hour. Last year it was 93. It's been 92 or better every season since his rookie year. It's 89. His uh, launch angle right now is actually the highest that it's been since 2019. He's popping the ball up a lot. He's actually, you you can almost see it because he grounded out a lot. He hit a lot of double plays last year. I think he's trying to hit the ball in the air, and he's kind of tomahawk chopping sometimes, and the ball's lifted but in the infield or shallow outfield occasionally. Sweet spot percentage was 33% in 2020, 36% in 2019, was 30% last year. He's finding the sweet spot about 25% of the time this year. 
expected batting average. And I like that better than batting average because it kind of tells you, yep. you know, what you control. 332, 305 the last two years, 285 right now. Now, his expected slug is higher than it was last season, which is a good sign. His expected Woba is about what it was last year, down from 2020. By and large, though, he is better than people think. He's playing at this moment. He's been really good. And if you're you know, trying to rank him among all the players in the National League, he's in the top 20 right now offensively as just an overall hitter. It's just not quite Soto. But we, we talked about chase rate, I think, on one of our first podcasts. He's normally 100th percentile in chase rate. Like the best in the sport or tied right there, best in the sport at not expanding the strike zone. He's in the 86th percentile now. Now that's still considered upper echelon. That's really, really good. But this is the first time we've seen this from him. The result is, while he's still great at not striking out, he's got more walks than strikeouts, which nobody does, he's got his highest strikeout rate he's had since he was a kid, you know, back in in the 20-teens. So this is what he's working on. He's trying to iron out. It's going to happen. It just gets more difficult, Danny, when Nelson Cruz isn't really doing much. Other than Bell in this lineup, Hernandez has been on a heater. I don't know how long that sustains. He's not going to get a lot of help. This has always been what's amazing about him to me. Bryce Harper can't do what Juan Soto does because Bryce Harper eventually expands the zone or you walk him or you, you know, whatever it is, he gets himself out swinging at pitches. He doesn't take enough pitches. Soto's always been amazing at not needing a lot of help to keep being Juan Soto. I just don't know this year how much there's going to be as this season goes on for him. I mean, he's he, really, yeah. it's like him against himself almost. I, I agree with that. I think it's a good assessment. It's a great way to phrase it. I mean, think about that 2015 Bryce Harper season, right? And, and you and I talked about this ad nauseum. Obviously, it was outstanding. It was ridiculous. He was the MVP. But it was that much more incredible because there, were, there wasn't a single other guy on the roster that hit 20 homers. Nobody else had a good year around him. It was Bryce Harper versus the world, so to speak. And and, and Soto's going through a similar lineup thing now uh, with a group that's not competing at the level the 2015 team should have been or was, etc. So... For Soto, part of what makes him so special, and the reason I love him hitting second in the order, by the way, is he's one half run producer, the other half run creator, one half on base machine. That's part of his skill set. So hitting him third or fourth exclusively in those kind of RBI spots kind of, I don't want to say it it, it, it stunts his skill set, but it's also not taking full advantage. So you get that kind of ideal spot in the order for him hitting second, which means, though, it's got to emphasize there's going to be times where you've got to be more patient than you want to be, especially runners in scoring position. You're second and third, nobody out, you know, in, in a, in a four-run ball game, you may not get the cookie. You may not get that pull-side homer pitch, that, that 2-0 keyhole thing that you want. You're still Juan Soto. Part of your game, and a huge part of it, is not expanding the zone not doing pitchers any favors, and taking those walks as they come, even if it means after a couple minutes you're handing the batting gloves and the helmet to the first base coach and trotting out the right field because nothing positive happened after you. That's going to be part of this year. It is an underrated grind and challenge for him to just be the best version of himself while everything's kind of crumbling around him. One guy I want to hit on really quick as well, and we got Joel Hanrahan coming up in just a few, the former Nats reliever, now coaching in single A. He's got some thoughts on some of their top prospects, and we'll get a, a vibe for what it's like coaching in the minor leagues. But Yoan Adone threw the ball really well against the Marlins. When he throws strikes, you can see why they really like this guy. I mean, he's 22 and in the big leagues, and he probably shouldn't be completely Fairly to him, and, and honestly, I mean, he's probably ticketed for AAA if and when Ross and Strasburg are in this rotation. But Yoan Adone's fastball velocity ticked up against the Marlins. He had only thrown one pitch harder than 97 this season. Uh, he did that 
I think three times. So I should say no. I'm, I'm looking at it here. Eleven fastballs at 97 or higher against the Marlins. He'd done that once all year. Touched 98.1 in the first inning, his hardest pitch of the year. Threw his four-seamer on 62 of 84 pitches. So it was basically all fastballs, harder than he'd been throwing them, was pelting the strike zone. When he's doing that, he looks the part. He's a big dude. He can eat innings. I know why they like him. It's just about harnessing it now. And they got him in the big league sooner than maybe they would have liked to. He's leading the, the league in some categories, you know, walks and stuff like wild pitches and hit-by-pitches and whatnot. So he he has a hard time locating. But you can see that the starter kid is there. I mean, there's some potential for him. And I do think if you fast-forward a couple years, when hopefully, and I'll knock on wood because it never quite works out how it's supposed to, but let's say Cavalli and Henry and and some of the Cavalry's arrived, I think Adone probably is in that mix somewhere. And and as you touched on, it's probably not fair to him that he's here now, just, you know, taking the ball every fifth day, not complaining and, and taking his L's, right? But... It all depends on the kid. It all depends on the player. I mean, some guys can never have their confidence wane or waver, even as they're experiencing nothing but failure. And again, he—he, he, as you said, he probably shouldn't be at the big league level yet. And it's no disrespect to him. This is the normal course of events. Like our our eye line here in Washington has been spoiled by you know guys like Soto and Bryce Harper, where and, and Trey Turner for that matter. Of course, you just come up from the minor leagues and are great instantly, and it's just what you do, right? No, this is kind of the normal course of things, as guys have to make adjustments at every level. Pretty much everywhere else he's been, he could throw as hard as he wanted and a wipeout breaking ball, and all the hitters are pretty much guys like me that are talking about hitters now at this point because I couldn't do it. These guys at the, at that level at the, in the show, they will punish every single mistake, every tell, every tip, every mislocation you get hit. So he's now kind of learning, I think, on the fly and making some of those tracking adjustments. I think him learning sort of, obviously, you know, finiting location and, and, and pitchability, but also beyond that, that sort of adding and subtracting, right? Everything can't be 98. You've got to sort of get hitters off balance in a million different ways at this level. Speaking of Cade Cavalli, we could take a deeper dive into him next week, but their top pitching prospect started on Tuesday night. We're taping this on Wednesday, so last night uh, he gave up. Four hits and five earned runs, got just two outs and was removed in the first inning. Season ERA sitting at 7.62. I mean, the hope was he was going to be in the rotation pretty soon into the season, but he had to throw well for that to happen. He's not helping himself very much uh, at this point, so we'll have to dissect what's going on with him as we move forward on Bustin' Loose Baseball. Speaking of the minor leagues and prospects on the pitching side, Joel Hanrahan is helping to work with some of those players in single-A Fredericksburg, Let's catch up with the former Nat. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Bang, zoom. 
And we are joined now by Joel Hanrahan, the former Nats reliever, who's now helping young pitchers in this system get to the big leagues. Joel, it's Grant and Danny on Bustin' Loose Baseball. We really appreciate the time. How are you? I'm doing good, fellas. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure, man. So let's go through the career change, right? You go from player, you go from getting outs, the grind that way. Now it's you know shaping hearts and minds and, and developing young players. Was that trendi- transition difficult? Was it natural? Was it something that you kind of consciously had to let the player die inside you? I'd love for you to take us through that. Uh, no, for me, the transition was easy because, um, you know, unfortunately my arm died before the player died. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I knew when, when I was done playing, that, that, you know, there was no chance of me pitching again um, when I got done with my rehab uh, the second after my second surgery. So I knew the transition would be easy. Um, I never had that, oh, I can still get people out. I never had that feeling. Um, you know, there's times I, I feel like I could probably get people out with my 75-mile-an-hour fastball now. But, um, you know, it was the transition for me was, was definitely easy. And and it really actually kind of started in my first uh, Tommy John rehab process, being down in, in Lakeland, Florida, with the, the Tigers Gulf Coast League team and just seeing the excitement on the kids' faces who were fresh in, you know, some of the kids fresh over from Dominican, some of the kids coming out of college, you know, seeing those guys come in and, and talk about their outings and, and watching them develop and grow. And, um, you know, just, just being around the, the young guys kind of got me excited for a possibility of something that could happen in the future. Joel Hanrahan joins us. He was with the Nats, you guys will remember, way back in 07, 2008 into 2009. And at that time, the Nats hadn't become the organization that we kind of know them as now, right? They're really good uh, at this time, going up until this past season for a 10-year window. But before that, you were there at RFK Stadium when the organization was just finding its way. What do you remember about the Nationals at that time? Because you were a part of some lean years there where they were trying to build a fan base. Yeah, you know, I, I got to join the team in 2007. Um, you know, obviously Zimmerman was there and, and some other guys that, that were, you know, played some key roles moving over to the new stadium in 08 and 09. And, um, you know, I always tell people, you know, hey, I wasn't any good in 2009. I'm sorry. But, you know, if you look at it, we got Steven Strasburger and Bryce Harper. Um, you know, so, you know, maybe I played a little bit of part in that by being so bad, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> but, no, I mean, you could tell that they had some guys coming up and, you know, they, they had good drafts. You know, they you get a high pick in the draft and, and they did a good job with drafting good players and, and developing them and getting them to the big leagues and, and, you know, they had a lot of homegrown guys there that, that were making an impact for a long time. So, um, you know, it was, it was fun to, to move over from the old stadium to the new stadium and be a part of it. And, um, you know, I always kept track of the guys and see who was there. And, you know, unfortunately, it didn't work out for me in 09. And um, I told Rizzo in spring training, I said, you know, I think I might have been one of your first trades as the Nationals GM uh, when he took over. And it was a trade that worked out good for everybody, I think. So, um you know, it's fun being back and being around those guys and catching up with some of the the old faces as well. 
Joel, you mentioned surgery, and you know, to fans and 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 pudgy, you know, jerks like Grant and I who just watch all the games and you know read all the the articles, it's like somebody goes away because they're hurt. They're just kind of out of sight, out of mind. But that's obviously not the truth and the reality for you as a player. And then you know, it's five months, six months, nine months, ten months, you know, a year, whatever it is, as, as rehab and, and kind of stuff happens. And it's like, okay, he's back on my television screen again, or he's back on the bump. What do we kind of underrate? I would say as as an industry that that covers this thing or as fans about that process what do we not know that we should um you know it, it's it's definitely hard for the player to to go through the surgery process because most of the time you're away from the team you're you know we've, we've grown up in clubhouses we've always been a part of a team and then when you go in for surgery usually they send you down to florida and, and you know let's say for a guy like me i was 31 i think when i had my first surgery and now i'm going back to florida and i'm hanging out with 18 year old kids who uh, you know, just graduated high school and, you know, I'm sitting here, got my first kid, you know, like, so it's a different transition for the lifestyle, but, um, you know, I think the hardest part for the guy having the surgery is, you know, not being able to compete for that long. Um, and not every surgery is a guarantee. You know, they, some people always say, well, Tommy John, you know, guys come back stronger. Um, you know, for me, I had Tommy John and forearm, so it wasn't just the, the normal Tommy John surgery. So, uh, not everybody's the same, you know, some guys take longer, some guys come back quicker. There's, there's no explanation for it. I don't think. And, you know, some guys it just, it's a brutal grinding daily process. And it's, you know, a year of going in and just sitting there watching baseball, watching other people compete. It's, it's tough for the player. So you had some years where you were nasty. I mean, like really, really, really nasty. And then other times, you know, you, you didn't perform maybe the way that that, that you had kind of set the bar uh, in the past. How frustrating is that? You know, just thinking about like, I, dude, I'm telling you, this is still in me. Or I, you know, the, I'm a 40 save guy that, that's punching out the side every time. I would love for you to kind of walk us through that sort of that balance, right? Where you as an athlete, so hyper competitive, just so accomplished, and then when it's not there for you, I, I'd love for you to walk us through that. Yeah, I mean. You know, it's we've always, as as professional athletes, we've always been the best of the best growing up. Um, you know, we've always been the best of the best in in high school and in college. And um, you know, you you go through a, a funk where you're not. It's it's tough. It's it's a mental grind. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people learn throughout the minor leagues is, um, you know, we we don't really we obviously want you to succeed, but we also want to see how you fail and how you respond from failure. And, you know, I, I in my, for instance, my season in, in 2009 with Washington, I mean, I, I couldn't get anybody out. I felt like I was making good pitches, but I wasn't, you know, I was, I was kind of not realistic with myself and um, thought I was doing everything okay and, and pitching okay, but the, the results weren't there. And, um, you know, I went to Pittsburgh and I kind of changed my attitude and said, you know what, like, this is your last chance. These guys, you know, these guys wanted you here. They, they saw something in you. So you need to, you know, you need to step it up and, and figure some things out or else, you know, you're going to be looking for a real job here soon. And I wasn't quite ready for that. So made a couple adjustments here and there. And, um, you know, things, things went really well for me in Pittsburgh and, um, you know, it was, it was just a good time and, you know, things are a lot more fun when you're doing well. That's for sure. Joel Hanrahan, ages 25 to 27 or so here with the Nats, now in their system again, this time coaching and leading and mentoring as a 40-year-old. But before we talk about the coaching part of everything, I want to go back again to the early days of the Nats because I think 
everything's about perspective, and people right now are, are having a hard time, right? It's the first time in a long time we're watching the club really struggle. Not a particularly good major league team. You're going to the ballpark. There's not as many people there. But people forget what it was like. What do you remember? Like, what were some of the, you know, like the lower attended or like some of the funny stories about RFK, which was this ancient former great Redskins stadium from decades earlier, and you guys were kind of waiting for your own ballpark, playing in this big, this football facility, essentially. I remember going to so many games there, and it was, man, it was rough. As a player, what was that like? Um, you know, I, I thought it was okay. I mean, I, I was young. I was the first time in the big leagues that year. So uh, I was just, you know, obviously happy to be there. I didn't think that the, the facilities underneath were as bad as some people thought they were. Um, I, I felt like they kind of did what they could to make it make it decent. And, um, you know, the the – I like the field because the field was big. Um, as a pitcher, I didn't mind it. You know, it's kind of nice having a, a big stadium. But, you know, obviously it was outdated and, and people were, um, you know, other stadiums were, were building new grand stadiums. And it was just when they told us they were building a new stadium and, and we saw designs of it and pictures of it. And, you know, I think uh, Zam and somebody else went over and did a, like a home run derby on the on the site that it was going to be at, like, you know, the excitement for the new stadium was great. Um, you know, anytime you got something new and clean and fresh, everybody everybody loves it. And, uh, you know, it's still one of my favorite places to go to. I, I got to go to the All-Star game there in, in 2018, I think it was. I got to go to the game with my son and um, saw some other former players there. And it was just kind of fun to sit in the stands of, of that new stadium and, uh, you know, see what it's like from the, the fans' perspective and, um, you know, it's, it's just, that's just part of baseball there. Just, you know, some things you just gotta take what you have and make the best of it. And then, you know, enjoy the new parts when you get them. Joel Hanrahan was drafted by the Dodgers in the second round, eventually made his big league debut in 07 with the Nats. All right. So let's get into the coaching side of things and being part of a minor league system and traveling around on those buses and everything that you deal with now. Uh, I, I want to start with just the, the fascinating part of your level to me in a ball. You get some guys that were drafted out of high school pretty quickly. College players can start there right away. As you said, you got kids that are fresh-faced in America coming over from overseas or in the Dominican or wherever. Uh, what is that like in the clubhouse? It's such a melting pot of different factions of how you learned how to play baseball and different cultures. Just take us inside the clubhouse a little bit. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, we've got a really good group of guys here. We've got, um, I would say, we're probably 50-50 on – Americans and Latins here, um, but the American guys do a really good job of taking taking care of the Latin guys, giving them rides to the field, you know, helping them out at the grocery store, helping them, you know, order order food, and and we've got some some Latin guys that really are all in on on trying to be the best that they can be. They're you know dominating their Rosetta Stone um, English classes. You know, they're trying. When I speak to them, they want me to speak to them in English. Um, sometimes I, you know, I have to get a translator to help me out, but you know, they're, they're really doing everything they can to try to, to be the best baseball player that they can be. And, and really for one of them, learning English is a big thing for them and, and they're doing really good at it. There's a lot of Latin music in the clubhouse and in the, you know, on the, that side of it, the American guys, you know, they understand it and they try to help them out. And, um, you know, they don't get too upset when it's just Latin music all day. Like they're, they understand where they're coming from and how hard it is for them to be here. And 
um, you know, it's just, just fun to see the guys all work together and try to get each other better. Um, whether it be helping them go to the grocery store or, you know, Dominican guys asking their guys to come over for, or asking the American guys to come over and play winter ball or asking them about winter ball if they've ever been over to Dominican. Like, you know, it's pretty neat to see all the, all the different sides of the stories. And if you look at our roster here, I think we've got about eight different countries covered with, um, you know, Panama, Nicaragua, Dominican, Venezuela. I think we've got a Cuban guy here, or a couple of Cuban guys here. So, you know, we're, we kind of got all the continents covered and it's, uh, it's fun having a different mix of it. And just kind of, you know, I, I told him the other day that I went down to Boca Chica and there a couple of Dominican guys looked at me like, what? You went down there? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, I had a blast. A blast. It's, it's, you know, going, I wish, I wish that I had gone over and played winter ball at some point. Um, but I, I never really was healthy enough to go there in the, in the off season and had to do my workouts. So, um, but just being in the clubhouse with those guys, it's, it's a good time. And, you know, at this level, we're just trying to make sure guys show up to the bus on time, you know, go to the weight room on time, just, just trying to kind of the beginning steps of being a pro. So, Joel, for you as, as a coach, I mean, I, you know, everybody's got their own personality, things that work for you. And, you know, I, I always felt like players, they hear so many different voices and they've got to be open-minded and got to try something. And if that voice of Joel Hanrahan resonates or the guy that may coach him at AA or AAA resonates, whatever it is, your key, you sort of find what works for you. H- how much of it for you is this is the Nationals way? How much of it is this is what Joel Hanrahan thinks? Like, and, and walk me through that balance a little bit as you're kind of working with young players. Yeah. So as the Nationals, you know, we have pitching philosophies, we have hitting philosophies, defensive philosophies. Um, you know, we've got certain certain cues that we need to get to, um, you know, certain pitch percentages that guys need to throw. You know, one of the biggest things in the minor leagues you can ask any organization is the, the change-up development, getting guys to throw their change-ups. Um, you know, so we, we all agree on that, um, you know, I have a job to do and my job is to make sure that these guys are doing what the nationals want us to do. So, you know, as long as they can do that, then I can add on to what, you know, some other things delivery wise or pitch sequencing wise that, that I think could help them out or, you know, Hey, you can throw three breaking balls in a row to a guy. If he swings at the first two, you know, just make sure that it's not, you know, that it's your best one that you throw, you know, like, so, you know, obviously everybody has different styles, but, you know, we have a, a style as the Nationals. And, um, you know, one of the things that our, our big thing is we want to win the 1-1 count. So if it gets 1-1, we want it to go to 1-2. And that's, you know, we, we got to get first pitch strikes. Like, you know, it's pretty pretty basic throughout the minor leagues. Um, you know, everybody obviously wants to get first pitch strikes. But, you know, we put a – we we get monthly reminders of it, how we're doing and how – how we can improve. So, um, you know, and for me, I'm, I'm pretty laid back. I'm, I'm, you know, if I think a guy's breaking ball and they give him a couple of tweaks here and here and there in the bullpen and see if that helps. But, you know, at the end of the day, we, we want guys to be aggressive and, you know, when you're on, when you're on the mound, you got the ball, you're in control and, and, and you're the aggressor. So, um, I really like the way our guys are throwing the ball and, and, you know, I, I had a good time in spring training, learning the philosophies and, um, just trying to implement them here. So you mentioned winning that first pitch. What else are the governing philosophies? And are they things that every organization kind of leans on and relies upon? Or is there something that if the Nats were passing out a, 
a booklet to, to every pitcher that the Nationals' way is different, say, than the Cardinals or the Cubs or the Brewers' way? I can't tell you all the secrets now. <laughs> you know that. But, no, it's, it's just winning counts and, and working ahead and, you know, getting our, our certain amount of change-ups in the game and, um, you know, going deep in the games. Like, that's that's one of the things that we've really – emphasize this year is you know hey our pitchers need to go deeper in the games um you know that that 90 pitch count that five and dive like it's not a thing for us you know our ours is we're, we're trying to build major league players championship players here and and to do that you can't just go out there as a starting pitcher and go five innings and expect your day to be over um you know so just just really trying to work on their mentality here Sort of wanted to ask you about Joel because that's not the trend line. I mean, because everybody throws a million, you know, ninety-eight mile an hour cutters and you know all the all the sort of stuff. Stuff is nastier than it's ever been, but that is the trend: the, the shorter outing, more specialized, more matchups, more bullpen stuff. Do you feel like you're bucking the trend there with that kind of attitude? Of the, no, no, you got to go through the lineup a few times here. It's not as you said, you, know, you get through four and a third, you start peeking towards the dugout. It's a little bit different than what's going on in, in baseball right now. I'd love for you to speak to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always been a, a believer that, you know, the starting pitcher needs to go out there and go as long as he can. Um, you know, and I think there's no beliefs in that as well and, and our philosophy as well. So, you know, you, you look at being a guy, I started in the minor leagues and I, I started a couple of games in the big leagues and I was, you know, had my most success as a reliever. You know, if I can get, if we can get those starting pitchers to go six, seven innings every time, you know, now our bullpen is going to be set up for success. You know, the guys are going to be fresher out there. Um, you know, we're not expecting our, our our middle relievers, our long guys, to go out there and get nine outs every game. Um, you know, the guy goes out there and gets nine outs. Three days later, like, you know, he's he may still be tired. You know, he, you know, there's a reason why certain guys start and why certain guys relieve. And, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, if the guy's going out there and pitching well, and you get right, right him out there until as long as you can, man. I, I, I'm a believer in certain roles, but I know that the game is kind of trending away from that a little bit. But you know, if you think about baseball, it, it kind of goes in circles, and it's like, all right, here we are. We're back to sacrifice bunts. You know, it's those are all gonna. It's all gonna come back at some point. Like, I mean, you look at the kids, the the kids' style of clothes they wear, like. We made fun of those in 2000, but we wore them in 1990, and now they're wearing them again. So mm-hmm. everything kind of evolves and comes full circle. So hopefully we're, we're heading back that direction, I hope. Joel Hanrahan coaching in Fredericksburg, where the Frednats in their second year in a beautiful ballpark, by the way, are in first place in their division. That is a great park. I've been down there a bunch. I'm actually from about 30 minutes away from there, born and raised, and so that's kind of home for me. That's where we went to the movies and did our shopping and everything right there in Central Park. What a cool t- little uh, way to see a game. Yeah, man, that stadium is it is a great stadium. It's, uh, you know, especially on the weekends, they fill it up pretty good. And, um, you know, there's obviously lots of entertainment going on throughout the, ge- throughout the game, but we've got a good product on the field, too, so that makes it all, all the much better. You never know what you might see. Uh, you know, we got... You know, De La Rosa may hit one into the trees back there, or Brady House may hit one over the scoreboard. You know, you, you never really know. And, um, you know, you got some you got some good arms out on the bump, too, that are fun to watch. And, um, you know, we've, we've been getting quite a few strikeouts, which is, you know, one of my favorite things to see. And, um, you know, the guys are fun, man. It's it's a lot of energy. You know, the, the stadium's great. we got 
you know, the, I guess they've got turf out there, so that's kind of cool. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a smaller stadium. It's intimate, and you get to be close to the players. And uh, I heard they got some good beers there and uh, some Chardonnay and all the good wine and all that You've good stuff. You've heard that so, or you've experienced You've heard that. tell? <laughs> I've heard it. I've heard it. I can't. Okay. I can't go up there and drink any of those. But um, <laughs> I've heard about them. Uh, I think we had like a jersey auction. We get. We had a, you know, buy the jerseys off the players' back night, and we raised over like forty thousand dollars for some charities. So, you know, the fans are into it. They're they're all about their Fred Nats, and uh, the product on the field's good and fun and exciting. So, you know, if teams out of town, scoot on down. Come check it out. Yeah, it's a great time. It really is. If you got kids, especially, tickets are cheap, and you can get them right up on the field. And they got a great little mascot that my daughter loves, Gus. Gus yeah, is we, a lot we're of still fun. trying to figure out what what Gus is. Yeah, you and me both. Gus, Gus is, is. I'll tell you what he is. He's nightmare fuel. That's what he is. Yeah, my my daughter loves him. Yeah. She's got like little bobbleheads and and uh, toys in her room and stuff. We go, but I, I see the guy and I, I want to run the other way. You see, scary looking. I think they do like a free Gus shirt giveaway every week. I've got four four Gus shirts in my house right now. So, um, you know, the kids the kids love Gus, and it is a it is a fun time for the kids for sure. All right, so I got a couple more quick ones before we let you go. I want to ask you about a few of the players in a second, but one more on you. When you go from the the glamour of the big leagues and and the five star hotels and that travel to being in the minors, it's tough, and it's frankly why a lot of guys don't go the coaching route. And you're kind of earning your stripes here. I don't know what the end game is. If if you see yourself as like a big league pitching coach or maybe a manager, or if you're just kind of enjoying it at this level. But obviously, you got a family. You got a couple kids. That's tough travel, man. That's a grind. What is the the philosophy for you long term? I mean, could you see yourself working your way to the big leagues like the players, or is do you want to be in it to really coach young young guys? Yeah, I mean that's a that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I coached for five years with the Pirates, and I went from rookie ball all the way up to Triple A. Uh, left the Pirates last year and decided to come over to the Nationals. So, uh, it is the minor league lifestyle is not glamorous. Um, I think we're in Salisbury, Maryland, right now against Del Marva. Um, I just walked over to Moe's with the the manager, and we were playing Frogger in the street. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a it's definitely a different lifestyle for sure. But now you're talking um, about Moe's Southwest yeah, I, Grill or another kind of Moe's. Yeah, Moe's Southwest Grill. Oh, I my love favorite. it. When you welcome walked in, did yeah. they say, welcome to Moe's, like right as you opened the door? It wasn't quite that exciting. It was more like a welcome to Moe's. Yeah. yeah. Like, ah, oh, this guy you again. Know. Going through the motions. I've seen yeah. this guy. Yeah, they're, they're just checking that box. But, you know, um, obviously I don't I don't see myself wanting to be a minor league pitching coach for the rest of my life. Um, you know, it was something that I got into right when I got done playing because I wanted to you know, stay in it and see what it was like. And, you know, I've, I've really, really enjoyed it, but it's not something that I could see myself doing forever of, of traveling the, the bus life and, and, you know, bouncing from, you know, quality into Hampton Inn to <laughs> Comfort Inn to, Nights um, in, days in. you know, yeah. So, you know, that's, that's not all that great, but you know, my kids, or at the age that they're having a blast with it. And, uh, that's cool. I think the end game is, you know, I obviously would love to be a big league pitching coach or bullpen coach, get involved with that somehow. And, um, you know, but I also want to see my kids grow up at some point too. So, um, you know, I've got a, a nine-year-old son that plays all the sports. So, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's one of those that I go back and forth with all the time. And, um, you know, but I feel like I'm, I'm doing some good things here and, and, 
making an impact on the game of baseball with some of these players. And, you know, I, I feel like when I signed up to be a coach, I wanted as many, you know, my motto is I want as many guys to experience that big league lifestyle as possible. And, um, because, you know, there really is nothing better than, than being a major league pitcher or major league baseball player. And, um, I felt like I had some things that I could help these guys out to get there. And, and that's, that's kind of why I wanted to come back and, um, you know, back in the, the low A league for the second time for me, because I, I kind of did it with the pirates and worked my way to the top almost, and then came back. And so we'll see where it goes. You know, I just kind of live it year to year and, and see what's best for the family at the time and what's best for, for me and, and where I want to go in the game. So, um, you know, I'm enjoying it now and, uh, you know, look forward to see what the summer has in store for me. All right, give me Joel Hanrahan's bedside manner, mound visit, right? Are you candlesticks as a nice gift? Are you, you know, Mike Maddox, eye contact, hand on the shoulder, heart to heart? Are you covering your mouth at cursing a blue streak? Uh, walk me through a mound visit. Oh, man, I've had a couple of different ones. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had a, a couple of good ones. You know, the other day, um, you know, the pitcher was having a tough time, and I think there was an error behind him, and something else happened. I just went out to the mound, and I stood there, and I didn't say a word. I just gave him his 30 seconds to, to reset. Uh, you know, I had one in, in low A in 18. I went up to the mound. It was like bases loaded. I said, went up to the mound. I looked at the kid. I go, hey, here we are. We're in Rome, Georgia. Bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded. You know, what are we going to do? And, um, but, you know, every once in a while, you got to go out there and let, let them know, like, hey, man, like, you know, I had a pitching coach, Kenny Howell, who – he was with the Dodgers, unfortunately, rest in peace. But, um, you know, he'd come out to Maui and be like, hey, man, you got big league stuff today. Hey, man, you nasty. And I look up the scoreboard, I'm like, Kenny, I've given up five runs in two innings. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, so I'll, I'll drop that on him every once in a while just because, just yeah. you know, I loved it when I was when I was playing. But, um, you know, everybody's style is different. I just kind of – I definitely just take my time getting out there and um, – you know, uh, every once in a while in spring training, I would, you know, get out there on a full sprint if a guy throws like eight balls in a row. But usually I'm pretty, I'm pretty chill when it comes to going out to the mountain. Um, you know, just kind of right now it's like, Hey, do you guys know what signs you're using? You know, let's, let's go ahead and make sure we're on the same page with the guy in second base and, um, kind of go from there. You know, it, it changes every time you got any, you got any suggestions for me? I, to me, it's basically like you got to know the guy, right? Like, so some dudes I remember my some of my college teammates just needed to chuckle once because like, they're all wound up and all uptight, and some guys needed that like angry pep talk or like you know a Hoosiers type speech. So I, it always varies, man. But, Maybe but, a knock knock joke. Yeah, but you pitchers are all so weird. You know what I mean? Like everybody's got these own idiosyncrasies, and you're like worried about all sorts of stuff, like making your eyelids breathe, like Nuke Lelouch. I have no idea, man. I I, I never knew what the right thing was. Yeah, I, I have had a couple where I go out there and go. Hey guys, I just got some new some new shoes, so I just wanted to get some showtime out here on the mound. <laughs> See, there you go. Shoes, just wanted so. to show them off a little bit. Yeah. Hey, I, I, yeah. you got to tell me if I'm saying this guy's name right, but I'm I've been watching the numbers and he's been dominant. Rodney Theophile, you mentioned that you guys have a, a pitcher from Nicaragua, and, and he's the guy. Uh, he's got a point eight ERA, yeah. thirty three innings, forty eight strikeouts, a point eight WHIP. Now he's a little older than the level, I guess, twenty two years old. But first of all, how do you say his yeah. last name? And and then kind of give me a breakdown on him. Uh, we say his last name is Theo. We just call him Theo. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> we call him 
what we call them quadriceps. <laughs> I mean, his, he's got some tree trunks out there on his legs. So, um, you know, but, you know, Theo's been great. You know, he is a little bit older for the league. And, and one of the things that I actually just did an interview about him a couple of days ago, you know, Theo is a little bit older for the league, but if you look at it, like, I think he had Tommy John, uh, you know, the COVID year, like his pitching experience just isn't that, that much. Um, you know, it's, it's not like he's been playing in this league for four years. You know, he was out for 2020. He was out for Tommy John. Uh, I think he pitched in this league at some point last year. I don't know how much it goes all year or what it was, but you know, and, and a guy coming off Tommy John surgery, like, yeah, he came back last year and was healthy, but he doesn't really get a true feeling until about two years is, is what everybody says on the Tommy John. So, um, you know, I, I don't really, I give his last year is kind of like that last buildup of his, of his rehab from Tommy John, where this year he's fully healthy. He's going out there and he's ready. Um, you know, he's, he's checking all the boxes that you need. He's been working on a breaking ball here. He's got his change up is really good. And, you know, he, when you, when you see a starting pitcher, like, you know, I said in that article, that's what it looks like. He's, he's a big body. Um, and, and he doesn't back down from anything, man. If a guy hits a leadoff double, he's like, you can see that like light bulb go off in his head. He's like, all right, no big deal. I got this. And he turns it up a notch and it's just like, man, like where does he get that extra gear from? I love that. You don't think, you know, and, and it's just, it's been fun to watch. He's been great to have. He works his tail off and, um, you know, it's, it's definitely one of those that you're, you see him out there and you're like, all right, man, I feel good today. All right, then the other two real quick right, lightning around here would be Brady House and Jeremy De La Rosa, the two big bats in the system that are there. And what are your early thoughts on those guys? Yeah, man. I um, so with, with De La Rosa, like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know Juan Soto. I've, I've seen him play on TV. You know, he it definitely reminds me a lot of him. Like watching him on TV. You know, he's a center fielder. He, he can go get the ball. He's got good routes in the outfield. He's got a good arm. And, you know, when, when, when a guy's out there on second base, you can almost guarantee he's going to get in. You know, he's going to drive him in. And, um, you know, he, he can hit with two strikes. He can take the ball. He can uh, work a count. Like, you know, so far he's, he's, he's been a, a really good player and a lot of fun to watch. And then, you know, Brady House, like he hit a ball last night. Um I don't even know where it went. He got hit like in the right arm. And then next that bat, he comes up and hits one. Like, you know, it kind of disappeared when it went up. It was just like, Oh, there's one back, you know, there, there's a run back. So, um, he's got lightning quick hands and there's not a pitch that he doesn't like. And, um, he's got really good bat to ball skills. And I think once he gets a little more mature at the plate of, you know, working his counts, getting his pitch, he's going to be, he's going to be awesome. And, you know, he's got a cannon too. And he stole a base yesterday. Like, he kind of checks all the boxes. He can do it all. So, um, you know, I think he's still 18 years old, maybe. I think he's about to turn 19. So, you know, he's definitely young, but, and I think he's, you know, he reminds me a lot of like, uh, Corey Hart from the Brewers, JJ Hardy from the Brewers, like shortstop. That's got some power intro. That's got some power can run, can throw, you know, I I think he's going to be a solid player down the road. I love it. Good insight from someone who sees these guys day in and day out. De La Rosa's 20, hitting 320 with a 950 OPS. He's got six homers, 30 RBI, and 10 stolen bases. And then Brady House. 
just hit his third home run and has a 900 OPS with a 313 average. All right, we always wind things down with our producer question. Darius has sat here making it sound good the whole time, and then he gets the grand finale question. Could go in any direction. We, we never have know. no idea what he's going to say. We don't know what's about to happen, Joel. So this is our big producer yeah. question to end the interview. Darius, the floor is yours. Joel, I want to jump in the time machine. It's only going to take us back 13 years to 2009. You participated in the World Baseball Classic in 2009. Oh. Well, tell, tell us what that experience was like. What was it like participating with basically some of the best in the entire world? Yeah, I mean, that, that experience was amazing. I got lucky. Uh, I probably shouldn't have been there. Uh, I wasn't like, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't an established big leaguer. I was just kind of, I had a pretty decent season in 08. Um, you know, I had some things lined up in 09. But, you know, I got a phone call from Latroy Hawkins. We got the same agent, um, just one of the best guys out there. He called me and said, Hey man, you know, team USA is looking for a player. And I was like, Oh God, what? And they want me. And, you know, it was a hard decision for me. I, I asked tons of people like, you know, if I should go or not, cause I wasn't established, you know, I wasn't even guaranteed to be on the team. I don't think. So I just kind of had to make that decision, but you know, I get to play with uh, Chipper Jones, Jeter, um, Jake TV, Roy Oswald, you know, just Brian McCann, like the, the team was stacked and it was a great time. And, um, you know, you get a chance to represent your country, you get to wear that, that USA on the Jersey. Um, and, and I'm playing with multiple hall of famers too. So, uh, you know, the experience for me was unbelievable. Like I'll, I'll always remember that one. Um, you know, I think I always joke that, that Jeter made an error when I was playing, when I was pitching, I was like, yeah, man, we we're, I think we were playing like Team Japan and, you know, balls hit the shortstop. And I was like, all right, cool, we're out of the inning. And then next thing you know, I got a Hall of Famer making an error. So yeah, I, always, <laughs> I always joke about that one. But, you know, that was an experience that, that I'll never forget. And Because I never got to play on a Team USA as a kid. And um, I almost had a chance in 04 to get on the Olympic team, but my shoulder was killing me. So I, I didn't get to do that. And uh, just getting the opportunity to represent the country and travel around. We got to go to uh, Toronto, Miami, L.A. Um, it was just it was a blast, man. Uh, it's something that I'll remember. I got a jersey signed hanging up in my in my office back home, and um, you know it, it was great. And then I got to play with a couple of those guys in, in some of the All Star games, but just being around those guys and, and you know watching the best of the best and and getting to be a part of it for a while was was amazing experience. You're, you're saying you didn't deserve to be there. I'm seeing a zero zero ERA next to your name in all your games pitched during that World Baseball Classic. See, I didn't even remember that I had that. But I'll take that. <laughs> You'll take I'll it, won't that. you? Hey, speaking of yeah. uh, of impressive feats, I guess we can end here. I'll break our own rules and ask one question after Darius. Uh, I saw on Wikipedia, so this could be wrong because I wasn't allowed to cite Wikipedia in college. I saw that at one point you had a pitch clock to 102 in Cincinnati. You didn't throw a pitch 102, did you? That was a scoreboard thing, right? Well, I mean, the scoreboard said 102. <laughs> um, I, I am aware of what the scoreboard said. What do you think? Let's just say, let's just say that the next inning of Rodas Chapman threw 106 on the scoreboard. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. He normally throws about 100. Carry okay, the two. I can do okay. that math a little bit. But that, let's. You know what? My, I think. But my brother, my brother has a screenshot. Somewhere like on his Facebook or something, uh, I think we we're in Colorado, and I think on the on the screen in Colorado on the TV it said like 101 or 102. I don't I don't remember that. I love so, that. 
you know, that's before the, the Trackman era. That's, so, it's, it, you know, but I would say probably not. All right. Well, I but tell you what, tell you don't have player, to say what it actually is. asking? Yes, exactly. hundred percent. asked me, then it was definitely 102. What was the top velocity you ever clocked at, Coach? <laughs> Look it up. It's on my Wikipedia page. Google it. 102 I touched in Cincinnati one time. Exactly. 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 It's fun being around these young guys. They uh, A couple weeks ago, they, they went on their YouTube and, and were doing some YouTube searches on me and found some some funny videos so it's always fun when they <laughs> they come in they're like hey what's up hammer i'm like oh you guys watched youtube last night huh <laughs> that's so, great they're just down yeah. that, that rabbit hole like watching your highlights from 2009 or you know something like that after the trade. yeah well we appreciate the time it was awesome to catch up and uh obviously the efforts are working in fredericksburg you guys are having a great start to the season best of luck the rest of the way for you Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. That was fun. Thanks, Joel. You got it, Coach. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Long gone! Joel Hanrahan on Bustin' Loose Baseball. All right, time for our Nats superlative. We will go round the horn here. We always come up with kind of a hypothetical fun thing, try to get a feel for who on this ball club we're most intrigued by. So, Darius, what is today's Nationals superlative? So, I think our superlative today would be a little interesting here. Let's go with... Which national do we think would be the best broadcaster? A lot of a lot of players go into broadcasting after their career is over. Which national here do you think could do that? And a lot of guys in the news. Tom Brady just got his big contract trying to figure out who the A-team is on Fox this NFL season. I dig it. All right, Danny, who makes the best broadcaster on the team right now? Josh Bell. Electric personality, if, if you know, amiable, gets along with everybody, is pleasant, well spoken, sharp, smart, the whole nine yards, and he's very well read. We know that because he's the guy that is, uh, you know, with the uh, Nats Youth Academy. He's the rep that goes over there. He's read a million books and has a literacy program. I think Josh Bell would be outstanding as a broadcaster. Darius, I'm actually going to go with uh, the 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 savvy veteran that we got on the team right now, Nelson Cruz. I think Nelson Cruz is actually probably. Pretty close to being in the broadcast booth at some point. <laughs> he could do year. it like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> June He's forty-two. I could I could see him on say the 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 TBS set or the or even the MLB Network set analyzing games after games at the end of his career. All right, I could see it. I'm gonna go with. I'm between a couple of thoughts, but I'm gonna say D Strange Gordon. I'll bet you he's he's been around the block, multiple organizations, bunch of different coaching philosophies he can you know use as a, an analyst providing commentary. I'll say D Strange Gordon would make a pretty good analyst. Uh remember to download and subscribe and do all that podcast stuff that people tell you to do. Any other words I'm supposed to use, Danny? Yeah, Odyssey app, Spotify, Apple Pods, wherever you get your podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, tweet us at funny Danny at Grand H Paulson things or people you want to hear about or from. And uh, keep spreading the word, man. It helps us keep it helps keep the engine on the tracks. We will be back with a brand new episode five of Bustin' Loose Baseball. Come Monday. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy Nats baseball. Thank you so much for listening. Please spread the word.